Uh, now, this morning we are in the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bible, you can turn there to the beginning of Ephesians. And uh, this morning is uh, pretty much uh, introduction, more or less. It's a way for us to begin to look at uh, this particular book in the scriptures, uh, this letter. And uh, we're just going to focus on the salutation, the greeting at the very beginning. That'll be the focus this morning. Growing up, I remember hearing teachers uh, spend like a whole Sunday or two Sundays just on the greeting or the introduction. And I was like, man, that's stupid. That's crazy. How could you talk that long about just the heading of a letter? Um, Why would you do that? And I, in fact, I remember distinctly remember I was in high school and I was uh, in my room one day I was on my bed I was reading my Bible uh, had it open I do not remember exactly what book of the Bible I was reading but my father was in the other room and he called out to me and he said what are you doing and I said I'm just reading and he said well what are you reading and I said well I'm reading uh, the Bible and he goes well where in the Bible I said, I'm reading, and I just remember it being a letter. I said, I'm reading a letter. And he goes, oh, that's great. What do you you think about the start of it? And I said, well, I skipped the start of it. Like, I skipped the greeting, and I'm, like, just wanting to get to the good stuff. So, like, I'm I'm in that, like, second section, and it's great. And my dad's like, well, let me school you for a moment on the importance of the greeting. Let me tell you why that's significant. And, uh, you know, he started to say, well, it's about who it's written to. And I'm like, I don't care. I didn't live back then. It doesn't matter. Well, it's also about who wrote it. Ah, At the time, again, I'm in high school. That doesn't matter. And then he kept kind of unpacking it. And I went, oh, maybe there's a little more to this than I imagined. And so this morning, we want to focus on the greeting because I think greetings matter. The way you start something, uh, maybe in some ways says more than even how you finish it. I know a lot of people talk about how you finish something matters, but I think how you start something shows the intentions with which you entered it. It shows your motivation. It shows uh, what's really near and dear to you at the beginning. So this introduction isn't just about who wrote it uh, or who it's written to. It's more than that. It's about what sets the trajectory for the rest of the book. It's It's about what tone we get as we read the book. And so Paul starts off in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and this is what he said. It's our text for the morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, If you're familiar with Paul at all, he has a habit of starting letters this way. Let me give you a couple examples. Romans 1, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians, and to the church of God that is in Corinth, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In case you don't think he keeps doing this, Philippians 1, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians, another example to the saints and the faithful brothers and sisters 
in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. It's easy for us to see that a typical greeting for Paul was grace and peace. Grace and peace. It's central, I think, to the way he viewed his interaction with people. Now, there's a lot of scholars that like to do uh, imaginings as to why he began his letters with grace and peace. And probably the most commonly held idea was that uh, Paul was simply trying to appeal to the majority of who his readers would be, and that his readers consisted of two primary groups. And so what he wanted to do by saying grace and peace was to acknowledge both primary groups of readers and to kind of invite them in to what he was about to say. So, for example, to the Gentile readers, he would have, uh, they would have connected with the word grace. It was very similar to the Greek word for greeting. Uh, so instead, of, as they're reading it, they'd be like, greetings, but then they would see this play on words because he substituted the word for grace. So... Paul was able to like directly speak to his Greek audience and at the same time be able to kind of cast this idea of a deep part of the gospel right into the greeting at the beginning. And Paul was able to speak to this idea of grace. And for us, we understand that grace carries with it the idea that in spite of our failings, that we are loved unconditionally by a loving father. I mean, imagine that greeting. Imagine if every time someone came up to you, they just simply said grace. And you recognize that every time they said it, that God is saying that he loves you as you are, not as you should be. Because none of us is truly who we should be. And grace is what's uttered. To the Jewish readers... They would have been familiar with the greeting for peace. It's a word that many of us know, that word being shalom. And shalom was a a common Jewish greeting among the time, and it would have uh, been one with like eternal blessing on whoever was greeted. So you're like wishing, well-wishing shalom and eternal blessing on somebody that you're interacting with. Shalom is the word for peace, but it's not peace as we often understand peace in our context, rather It's much deeper than that. See, peace is this concept, or shalom is a concept that speaks to wholeness, completeness, harmony, blessing. It is desiring for the other person all that is good to come their way. That's the hope. That's what he's speaking into. It's a a word that really is thick with meaning. And uh, every time that it's used in the Bible, I think with the exception of one time, it's always used in the present tense. I think there's one time that's used, mostly shalom is used in like a future tense, right? Every other time it is speaking to peace in the moment. Tangible, real, not this hopeful someday there will be peace, but right in this moment at this time that you would taste, that you would experience this reality of shalom, and that it would come to you. And so Paul starts all of his letters, or most of his letters, with this grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. 
But as I've been thinking about Ephesians, I think there's probably a secondary reason why Paul gave this particular greeting to the people of Ephesus. I'm convinced that um, there's this uh, like a deeper reason. So it's not just, hey, the standard, hey, Greek audience, I'm glad you're here, grace to you. Jewish audience, I'm glad you're here, peace to you. But there's something a little bit deeper, something a little bit more meaningful uh, at stake. And I think the reason that I feel that way is because Ephesus was a church in need of grace and peace. It was crazy. It was crazy. The context that he's writing into. Paul is writing into a time where the church is beginning. Church is figuring its way. In, in Acts, if you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 19. You get a little picture of what, uh, what we're talking about here as it relates to the church at Ephesus. Uh, all throughout Acts is the story of the church unfolding from the very beginning. And if most of you understand that the letters that were written, if you were to do like a little chronological thing here, it would be simply this, that at the very beginning you have the Old Testament, it's been written, the church is beginning, uh, Jesus has come, he's lived, he's died, he's risen again, everybody begins to share the gospel, what you hear is the stories of Acts, right? That's the beginning of the church. But what we don't have in the chronological order is we don't have the Gospels written next. We don't even have Acts written next. What we have written is the letters. So the letters come onto the scene first, and there, there's all kinds of confusion in the church. There's all kinds of things happening, and they're going, man, we know there's this new reality with Christ on the scene, but we also grew up, many of us, uh, Jewish, and then we have Gentiles. We're trying to engraft them, and all these things are happening at once, and we have nothing to work off of. Nobody's written down the life of Jesus and how he lived yet. Nobody's written down Acts and what's happened in the church, because all of that comes afterwards. But what we get is these letters that are dropped in on the scene. And Acts 19 tells us a little bit about the church of Ephesus. We're not going to read, but what I want you to do is just look at it with me as I list a few things that are going on. Right at the very beginning, you see that Paul shows up to the people of Ephesus and he walks up to a few of the men and he says simply this, Do you know who Jesus is? Do you follow Jesus? And they, they go, yes. Yes, we believed, we follow, and Paul then says this to them. Did you get the Spirit? Did you receive the Spirit? So Acts 2 happened. The Spirit of God came to rest on anyone who knew and followed and believed in Jesus. And so he comes to this group in Ephesus. Did you also then receive the Spirit? And they say, nope. Crazy. Okay, crazy. They didn't have the Spirit. They accepted, they followed, they were believing in Christ. No Spirit. Then he says, well, you know what I'm talking about, right? They say, no, don't even know what the Spirit is. And so he's like, well, okay, let me pray for you right now, and we'll give you the Spirit. And so he does. Okay? Weird story, right off the beginning. Okay, these are people following Jesus, don't have the Spirit at the beginning of the church. And so there's this, all this change happening among the community. And then it, I think it says he gives it to like 12 people, and he's like, okay, go. Do your thing. Right? Not only that, but right in the next section, you have the sons of Sceva. The sons of Sceva are seeing Paul and like the disciples do awesome ministry. They're seeing healings. They're seeing lives changed. And they're a bit jealous. They're like, man, I wish that was happening to me. 
Like I go and I preach on the corner and nothing happens. There's no Holy Spirit. There's no miracle. There's nothing. And so they decide, what if we start to preach in the name of Paul and the disciples? And if we do that and we invoke the Spirit, then we could do miracles. And so they go up to this like demon-possessed man and they go, okay, here's the deal. We call in the name of Paul. We call in the name of the disciples. We call in the name of the Spirit. Like you are going to be healed. And the guy goes... I don't have any idea who you are. And the demons are like, this is crazy. And then the story says that the demons basically overpower the sons of Sceva, riff off their clothes, beat them down, and they run out naked. That's the next story in the church of Ephesus. Okay? So we're like, we're building some really sweet momentum here for the people of Ephesus, right? It says that the whole town is scared. They, they don't understand what's happening. And so they bring all of their like sorcery and magic and all their books. They've been worshiping Artemis. They, believe, they're, like, they have the temple in the city to Artemis. There's this God and they're worshiping this false God. And they say, okay, something else is happening. We're going to bring all of our, um, our books and we're going to like burn everything. You know, this like harkens back to the days of youth group when they're like, bring all your like records and CDs and break them and burn them and right like, and any weird book you have or comics or whatever, just bring everything and right. And so they do. They bring all this stuff and they throw it in the middle of the city and they start to burn it. And to tell you how like pervasive it is, the author simply says that all of the books amounted to fifty thousand pieces of silver. Which for us were like, okay, that doesn't mean anything. But it was probably equivalent to if you take 150 people at New Community that uh, have careers, you take their salary for one whole year, you throw it in the middle of the room, all of us throw our salary for the whole year in the middle of the room, and we light it on fire. 150 people. In that time, it would have been 150 men salaries, right? The males, the, the leaders kind of of the city. And so you have crazy money. You have all these people worshiping false gods. You have like all this tension in the city. All of it is happening at once. And then the next thing you see is a riot because the riot is saying, do we follow Artemis still? Do we follow Jesus? Can we put it all together? Can we just have this thing where we do Jesus and Artemis and can like it all work together in some way? And this is what the community is facing. I mean, they are dealing with crazy kinds of questions. Things like, what does faith look like? What does it mean to have the Spirit? How does the gospel interact with what we currently believe? They're asking things like, what is holiness? What are, the, what are customs and what are commands? What are things that we're supposed to follow? Where is culture ruling and where is God ruling? They're dealing with all these kinds of questions. But on top of that, if you look at the book of Ephesians, they have issues with unity. Over and over it's brought up that you are not unified as a body of Christ. They have issues with marriage and the breaking of covenant. Again and again it talks about marriage and broken unions. There's the mistreating of others in community. There's sexual immorality. There's division within the roles and responsibilities within the church. There's spiritual warfare. All of this stuff is happening and it is into this context that Paul is writing and he says grace and peace. Grace and peace. Like, you, all this is happening, you're probably freaking out a little bit. 
And let me just simply say, grace and peace. And I think if Paul was writing New Community a letter to the church in Spokane in 2017 from Paul, an apostle of God, to all those who are in Christ Jesus, grace and peace. Grace and peace. Because I think he would recognize that we in this city and in this nation are in the midst of all kinds of crazy, right? I mean, uh, this is a little bit of a loaded question, but I'm going to ask anyway. Um, I would love for your responses. What are the circumstances and situations facing us as a nation or a city currently as we enter into this year? So like as you reflect over the past year, What is surfacing in our cities across this country? What is surfacing in our culture that needs to be wrestled with? What I want you to do in the moment here is to shut it out. Because, see, I don't think the church is supposed to be afraid of these things, right? The church is supposed to address them. The church is supposed to hit them head on. The church is supposed to to sit in it and question it and call it out and, and be a part of changing it. So what are the things that we as a nation, as a city, as a people, are facing in this year? You tell me. We'll just collect a bunch of them, and then we'll have that in the back of our mind as we talk a little bit more about grace and peace. Yeah, racism, absolutely. The inequality, uh, the, the, the hatred toward people that are not like ourselves, absolutely. What else? Yeah, fear. There's crazy amounts of fear. There's also an echo in here. That, yeah. uh, fear, absolutely. Uh, we as a nation, uh, as a group of people, even as a city, um, at times are on pins and needles. Um, there's deep, deep fear. What else? Greed, yeah, materialism. I mean, most, if we had to be honest, that the, the root of a lot of what we're dealing with uh, is a, a culture of greed. Uh, the decisions we make economically, uh, the decisions we make racially, uh, the places that we live, the, the things we consume, uh, most of business, most of life is driven by uh, this desire for greed. Yeah. What else? Yeah, politics. Yeah, absolutely. And, and not just... Um, Politics is the right word because policy is good, right? Policy is good. Policy is part of what it means to create and establish a good culture and good cities and, and organizations. And, but politics, and that's what drives division and creates um, me versus you and all those kinds of things. Um, but policy can be a really good thing. Uh, what else? Yeah, busyness, the pace of culture. Uh, I would even add to that the inability to say no, right? Because um, it isn't that we have to be on the rat race who choose to be. It's not that we have to sign up for 40 things all on Wednesday night. Like we can say no to a few of them. Uh, But we somehow feel like we have to or we somehow feel like, well, so-and-so is doing it. I guess I need to do it too. Uh, And so, yeah, busyness. What, What else? Yeah, caring Caring for the earth. Uh, part of our, I mean, originally our first calling as humans was to do that. To care for, to subdue, to love, to, to nurture, to care for the earth. 
Um, and then we have kind of forgot that because of our second calling, which is to disciple people and to, to, to share the gospel. And to, to, right? That, that came secondary. I'm not saying it's secondary in importance. What I'm saying is they're equally important or they're as of great importance. And so uh, creation care, absolutely. Other things. Poverty. Yeah, poverty. Uh, classism. We have uh, big issues with the, the rich becoming richer, the poor becoming poorer, and uh, in many ways, not caring about the, uh, the distance between the two. But there's this ever-expanding distance, which is creating more and more poverty and, uh, and, and a huge issue for our nation and for our city. What else? Yeah, I'll come back to that one. Violence all around, right? Violence all around. I mean, you see it over and over. Uh, many of you know Chicago is a city that's near and dear to me. It's where I did my grad work, and uh, we lived near there for years. This last 12 months in Chicago, I think it's 762 murders that happened uh, in Chicago in this last calendar year. Um, we should be, as a people, weeping on our knees, crying out. Uh, not just for the city of Chicago, but for violence in all of our land, absolutely. Um, a lack of caring, right? A lack of empathy, I think was said. Um, uh, yeah, uh, there's that Korean proverb that I've said, right? Arms tend to bend inward. We tend to be focused on what matters to us. And uh, to empathy and actual compassion for others, uh, where you're moved in your gut to actually care about the plight of another, is something that uh, is absolutely missing uh, for us. Uh, any others come to mind? Say that again. Loneliness. Yeah. There's, there's a, a lack of relationship uh, in our culture at times. Uh, we could add others to, to the list. and I'll add a few more. Uh, the way we treat people of different faith. Uh, I mean, as you know, there is especially uh, targeted groups of people, right? Um, Muslims specifically tend to be the ones targeted the most. Uh, but there is um, a, a treatment um, lacking of care and concern and consideration for people who have a different faith or, or a different belief system than our own. Um, obviously, you could add to that, um, um, I think you could add to that the gay community. Uh, there's homophobia, there's, uh, there's um, a, a mistreatment of people, again, that uh, might be different than ourselves or different than... Um, than maybe the way you grew up, and so there's like that, that tension as well. I would add uh, adoption, foster care. Uh, the opposite end of that would be um, abortion. And there are the, that's a, a significant issue. Uh, and as you know, uh, I've said it many times here before, um, it, it's hard for us to, to say we want to be a part of the solution and then not actually do much about the solution. I think I've told you the statistic before, but if one out of every three churches in the state of Washington, and there aren't many churches in the state of Washington, if you think about it, there's less than, uh, I think it's around 8% of people go to church uh, across the state on a given Sunday. And so if one out of every three churches had one family, just one family out of the entire church that would adopt a foster kid this year, by the end of the year, there would be no foster system in the state of Washington. One out of every three churches, if one family adopted one kid, no foster system in the state of Washington. It's not like the solution is like radically crazy, right? It's there. It's possible. But these are all huge, 
huge issues. And so Paul, I think, is writing into this kind of situation. He would be writing the exact same kind of statement to us. That we're in the midst of change, we're in the midst of these cultural collisions, we uh, are in the midst of dealing with all of these issues, and I think Paul would be saying to us, grace and peace. I think he would say that this is why you exist, right? If, if the church, why does it exist if the church is not here to wrestle with the ways in which it betters the world, right? Why does the church exist if it is not here to share the good news of Jesus in ways that benefit the foreigner, the orphan, the widow, in ways that actually care for those that are less than and those in need. If it exists to just hold worship services, then I think we become a part of the very problem that exists because we've been called to be so much more than that. And see, all of these topics, I think, are supposed to be front and center and deep concern for the church. The new community cannot just walk through 2017 and not care at the core of who we are about things like this that matter. And so Paul is speaking into this. And, and, and I, I think it's part of what drives what we want to be doing this next year. Is to say, uh, how do we continue to lean into that? How do we continue to create initiatives like Global Neighborhood that, that's supposed to be and is caring for uh, the foreigner in our midst that comes and is bringing hospitality and welcome. That's why we start 90 plus. It's why we started other organizations. It's why we have a list of initiatives like a mile long that we want to enact. I mean, part of Stafford Tree coming up will just be like, okay, there's 30 things on the list. What do we get to, right? What can we go after? And maybe God is stirring in one of you like, that's a thing I want to go after, and I want to talk about it, and I want to figure out how we do it. Because that's what the church is created for. It's created and, uh, to deal with these kinds of things. It's God's intention for the church and the world is to be his very hands and feet. Uh, and it's why the elders pray through all these kinds of things. We pray through racism and sexism and homophobia and, and poverty. And we're, we're praying through all of that and asking God to give us wisdom on how do we create space to lovingly care and welcome people into our community? How do we create space and, and, and welcome for minorities? How do, how do we um, to actually live out the gospel in ways that breathe life into people, right? That give hope, that speak grace. And I think Paul says, lean into that tension, right? Lean into it. And with you comes grace and peace. And here's, I want to just give you in closing two ways that I think we can consider. And the first way is this, offer grace and peace to whoever you come to. Offer grace and peace. Let me say it this way. What if everything you did this year began with grace and peace? What if grace and peace was the way you oriented yourself toward everyone and everything? I mean, just imagine for a moment what the city would look like in 2017 if we entered into every meeting, if we came into contact with every person, if we addressed our neighbor, our friend, our foe, it didn't matter who it was, if we greeted them and we greeted them with grace and peace. Not just saying it but actually living it out. Like walking into each and every scenario with this. God loves you as you are, not as you should be. And I will too. 
Or what if we walked into every situation with peace saying, I want you and I desire for you to experience wholeness, completeness. I want you to have harmony and I want you to have every good gift from God. That's my hope for you and for this year. So I think we are called to offer grace and peace. But I think in offering it, we also have to be willing to receive it. We have to be willing to receive grace and peace. And here's why I think receiving grace and peace are so important. Because this year, as we, by God's grace, attempt to live into whatever it is He's calling us into, to take advantage of the opportunities that are there, we will, without a doubt, falter. Without a doubt, we will misstep. Without a doubt, we will come up short of our hopes. Without a doubt, there will be times where we are at the end of ourselves and we don't even know what to do. And I sat down with uh, one of my friends, African-American pastor in the community. I sat down with him uh, for breakfast over Christmas break. I think it was the day before uh, Christmas. And I just simply said this. I, I, I don't know what to do. I'm at a loss on how we can relate better with one another. You tell me. You help me. We're going to be, there will be moments we are at the end of ourselves. We don't know what to do. And that's where we receive grace. So we have a faith of endless new beginnings. That God invites us every day to start afresh. He invites us every year to begin again. And so we don't wallow in, man, we didn't quite reach what we wanted to. No, we go, guess what? There's today. And then there's tomorrow. And we'll continue by God's grace to receive it and then to lean into it. And then the second way is to receive peace. This year, we face change, we face conflict, we face cultural clash, we face all of that. And it is so easy, it was one of the first things that was said, and it was echoed for us to fear. But peace does not fear. So often we are driven by fear. And instead, if we're driven by peace, if the center of everything we do is this belief in shalom, at the center of everything we do is this understanding that God is completely in control, that there's no reason to fear. If we receive that, it changes the way we live. And I think it changes this year. So I am excited. I hope you are excited about the year ahead. I'm excited about Ephesians uh, and truthfully, I, I don't know what the year ahead looks like, right? None of us do. But we simply know this, that uh, he is leading us and we can have faith as together we pray grace and peace. Let's pray.